does talking about your money make you cringe? Are you tired of fighting about finances? Do you want to stop sabotaging your financial happiness? Then you are in the right place. Welcome to Breaking Money Silence, a podcast series aimed at helping all of us talk more openly about money. Your host, Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, is doing what she does best. As a young girl, she was scolded for talking too much to her neighbors in class. After years of trying to be quiet, she discovered that speaking up about taboo topics is her strength. International speaker, author, and founder of KBK Wealth Connection, Kathleen understands money and our relationship with it. She is a wealth psychology expert who has helped thousands of advisors and clients communicate more effectively about money. Now, listen to Kathleen as she assists today's guest in busting their favorite money myth wide open. I'm very excited to welcome Kamal Minhaus. She's an Indo-Canadian entrepreneur, content creator, and investor. She's the founder of Co Media, a media production and investment company that focuses on telling women's stories worldwide. In 2014, she became producer and co-founder of Dream Girl, a documentary that tells the story of ambitious female entrepreneurs. In May of 2016, Dream Girl premiered at the White House as part of the United State of Women Summit. And shortly after, Kamal was named one of Oprah's Super Soul 100. It's a list featuring extraordinary individuals who live life intentionally. These days, she spends her time speaking, writing, and creating inspiring content with her team in Ottawa, Canada. Kamal, welcome to the Breaking Money Silence podcast. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, when I saw you at the Vermont Women's Fund uh, Gala, I said to myself, here's a woman who I want to break money silence with. <laughs> Absolutely. It was a big part of the conversation that night, so I'm happy to be able to continue it today. Yeah, and so, Kamal, um, tell us a little bit about the myth that you selected to bust wide open today. So we landed on um, health not being connected to wealth. I believe that a lot of people are kind of sucked into the belief that we have to hustle harder, we have to work so hard, we have to sacrifice our health to create wealth. But that limiting belief actually leads us to become more sick, more incapable of productivity that we all strive for, and more incapable of producing the kind of wealth that we want in our lives. And yes, like for sure, there's examples of people who lead very unhealthy lives who are abundantly wealthy. But for me, wealth isn't just monetary. It is a 360 of your life. What does your life fully encompass and what does it look like in every aspect from relationships to community to financial wealth? Um, and that to me is like a true definition of wealth. So before we get into kind of picking this apart and busting this myth wide open, I'm curious what your thoughts might be on why you think we associate these two things together, that somehow in order to be wealthy, we have to just put self-care to the side and we just have to work nine day. Do you have any sense of where that comes from or and why we get, especially women, get kind of sucked into that idea? Well, I'm, I fully believe that it is, I mean, my, my, I myself am, I'm a first generation Canadian. So my parents uh, immigrated to Canada in the seventies. They didn't have the luxury of not working hard. They didn't have the luxury of questioning, you know, their, um, their intentions when they're trying to make money and just survive in a new country. 
And so I believe that we're so connected to the generations past, which are generations of immigrants coming to a new land to, you know, really build out life, a great life for their families and for generations to come. And so when you're born into that kind of um, atmosphere, when you're born into a place where hard work is so valued and all that's done day in and out, but you don't have the same struggles as your parents or you don't have the same struggles as the generation before you, you're afforded an opportunity to pause. And for me, it came in the way of getting really sick because I didn't know how to stop because I had ingrained my parents' habits in me. So I think that this is kind of a root cause in a lot of ways of self-care being an afterthought because for our parent, for my parents and for generations of immigrants who came before us, it was, they didn't have an option to integrate self-care. It, it was really just about survival and, and creating a life they've always dreamed of for their families. That's such a great point. I guess it's one I haven't thought about in depth, but makes perfect sense. You know, here in the United States, I often think it's the, you know, you know, more is always better. The man with the biggest toys wins. You know, that whole philosophy that somehow we have to run ourselves into the ground and hadn't necessarily kind of connected it to our immigrant heritage, but it, that makes a lot of sense to me, actually. It does. And if you think of how that evolves, you know, going from, you know, what is the purpose when people first immigrate to a country? It's survival. It's giving their kids a better life than they had. When those kids inherit that wealth or, you know, inherit those work habits and then don't have the same struggles, then you have the same habits of overwork without the grounded reality of why. So I think that's where materialism can come in. And that's where that motivation that is not actually connected to like a positive life moving forward and abundant, uh, like spiritually abundant space comes from because you have the habits of working hard and seeing what their parents created. But then it's like, now we're just going to build wealth for wealth's sake. And we're going to get the bigger houses and we're going to do all these things. And it takes a real critical intervention in someone's life for them to question that lifestyle. And it takes a lot of uh, introspection that a lot of people aren't willing to actually do to get to that point. Yes. In some ways, I think uh, there are some people who it it strikes me as we're kind of in a culture where you get self-esteem from telling everybody how busy you are. (laughs) As opposed to I went to a yoga retreat or I had time for a massage. You know, what we reinforce and and think is valuable sometimes uh, can get in the way of us taking care of ourselves. Absolutely. And it's an addiction. It's an addiction to work. It's an addiction to being busy. It's, it's, it's just a societal sickness to me of, of not really understanding who we are as human beings and and why we're actually here, like to, to love, to give to the people around us, to create wealth so that we can improve the lives of others and not just ourselves. Um, And we kind of disconnect from that. And then it, really fosters this emptiness inside of us where busy is what makes us feel like we're worthy. And it's like, but it's actually making you sick. Yeah. And so I'm every myth I think has an upside, even if the upside is, you know, very small or very short lived. So before we bust this open, what do you think the upside is for, for anyone? And it sounds like you fell into this and I did in my early twenties um, that you just believe you have to keep working, 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 and you know, you'll take care of yourself later in order to achieve wealth. Is, is there anything in it for the individual? I feel like the upside would be that for a lot of people, that's how they make their money. Like if you look at a lot of Silicon Valley people, folks who made their millions and sometimes billions early in their life, it's because they did not sleep. 
They did not take care of themselves. They did not prioritize community, family, all these things, but it accrued them significant amounts of wealth. But when that wealth came in, and if they're people who are introspective, they pivoted and now community is front and center. Philanthropy is front and center. Um, understanding like how to become more mindful, integrating meditation. These are all things that they come into after they've made their millions. So an upside to this myth of, you know, your health is not connected to your wealth or like that you can live with that disconnect is that, yeah, you can become really wealthy. But for a small percentage of those people, it can also lead to serious illness and potentially death in some cases. Um, and we see that time and again with news stories about interns who are falling asleep at the wheel of their cars and dying and people in Japan who are committing suicide because of the intensity of their work or who actually die when they're at work because of the expected levels of productivity. So there is a middle ground and, you know, the slight upside of, yeah, you might be able to get wealthy, but what are you sacrificing along the way? Yeah. And it sounds like the sacrifice is certainly too much. And, and for you, it was too much in that you became unhealthy. And so what tips do you have for people who are listening who say, you know what, I, I do believe that on some level. I believe that I have to work really hard. I believe that I don't have time to take care of myself. And I believe that, you know, eventually I will, but I just need to work for the money right now. Um, what kind of tips can you offer people who are listening that that maybe you have found through your own story or that you think have been helpful in finding that middle ground? I honestly wouldn't have found it if I didn't get sick. So what I would say to some people is everyone has their own journey. And it's also like some people genuinely to survive have to work three jobs, have to work 18 to 20 hour days, have to sleep very little. And I'm not here to diminish that that is someone's life and, and that that is where they're at. But for people who do have a little bit more liberty and a little bit more freedom in their life, um, I would ask people to examine where is this work addiction or where is this impulse to have to work all the time coming from? Is it rooted in childhood trauma? Is it rooted in an abusive relationship? Is it rooted in a deep self-loathing? What are you really running from? Because just like any other addiction, a work addiction is rooted in unresolved trauma and we don't want to look inward and have that introspection and heal the things that lead us to doing the things that are most unhealthy for us. And so I'm a big proponent of that now for in, ter in terms of tips, don't shame yourself. Like if you're working and you can't stop and right now, you know, your dad just died and you got to jump back into work, do that. There will come a moment when either your body forces you or you actively seek a, some pause and bringing some more balance into your life just prepare your mind to know that that may eventually come and that it may not be on your own terms. Um, I'm very much someone who's like, you don't, I'm not prescriptive. It's like, you don't have to do anything. Just live your life with as little self-loathing shame and like, you know, self-hatred as possible so that you can do the things that are healthier for you. So just be kind and gentle to yourself. Those would be my tips. No, and I think that's great because we we aren't often very compassionate to ourselves, and, and especially people who I think are uh, high achievers like yourself and certainly myself, it becomes very easy as a motivator, even though ultimately finding other ways to motivate yourself is healthier, um, to kind of be hard on yourself and to think that you just have to do the next thing. And so as I'm listening to you, part of what I'm wondering, and I'm just going to be really transparent is do you think that your film, Dream Girl, would have been so successful had you not worked so hard? 
I wonder, and I mean, I can only wonder because you can't turn back time. I wonder if we were able to create more pockets of gentleness for ourselves, if it could have been even more successful. Uh, Dream Girl achieved huge levels of success. And I feel like for me personally, had I been able to take better care of myself, um, establish stronger boundaries for my health and well-being, I wouldn't have had to leave the company and I could have supported the team further. And so I don't think it would have been less successful had we paused more. Um, but we did do everything that we had to do. And there's no like no way around that. I wouldn't have changed a thing. But if there was a magic, you know, time turner that Hermione Granger has to go back, I would encourage younger Komal to take a little bit more time and ease with things and to build that a little bit more into our cu culture of a team and see what happens. There's no way of knowing. Um, but, you know, I would I have liked to have not gotten so sick for sure, but I wouldn't be who I am right now without those experiences. So yeah, no regrets around it, but who, who knows? I, I wonder about that. For sure. Yeah. So, I, you know, and thank you for your transparency there. I think wondering about it makes sense. But you have a really great point is that uh, we don't know what would have happened. But often what ends up happening if you slow down a little bit is there's some space for additional creativity, uh, diff additional opportunities, and it's more of a long game than a short game. Uh, and that's where I'm so at right now, Kathleen. It's like I now... I've, I had to move from New York City out here into the country in Ottawa. I live on an acreage with my father-in-law and I have my beautiful home office. I have my office downtown, but I choose a different pace of life now. I understand that life is long and we have so many different phases of who we want to be, how we want to become that person. Um, but at the core of it is, are you happy? Are you healthy? Are you satisfied by the people that you're interacting with every day? Are they going to sustain you to that greater level of success you've always dreamed of? Or are you going to be in a pattern like I was of burnout? And you know, you have your two to three years where you're hustling, 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 and then you have to take a year to a year and a half off to recover. That's not normal. <laughs> you know, I would look at, you know, the end of dream girl and be like, okay, once it's done, then I can take a year off and travel and do all these things. It's like, how about we integrate all the things you love throughout your life and go through your period periods of hustle? I'm not saying that we don't need to work hard. I worked an 18 hour day yesterday, but then I woke up today a little bit more gentle with myself. Whereas in the past I would have worked a second 18 hour day. So it's just like, where do you need to push the brakes and where can you push the throttle without losing that semblance of health that you want in your life? Such a great point, and it's uh, it's ironic, but I certainly moved out to uh, the country. I live in a rural town in Vermont. I uh, moved here three years ago, and uh, same thing. There's something about having a lot of space around you and beauty around you that helps you slow down. And it doesn't mean I don't like going to the city or jumping on a plane to go and speak and and live a faster pace for a period of time. But there's something really nice to be able to slow down and actually live in a community that reinforces that it's okay to slow down. Oh my God, I can't get over the how much I love Burlington and how much I loved Vermont. I just feel like had I not fallen in love with Ottawa already, it could have been a place where I would love to live. So I, I get why you decided to choose that space because when you're that surrounded by a beauty, that kind of a community, um, all of the things that are there, you can't help but be inspired. 
Um, for example, I had my 20 turkeys who live on my property come by my window this morning and eat it, eat the food that we had put up for them. But where do you, how, you can't replace them. Like that's just brings so much joy. It's incredible. It is. And it's really inspiring and creative. And I think the other thing that's interesting in, in getting back to this myth is that when I moved out here, uh, I wasn't really worried. My business was in a good place. You know, I work virtually most of the time. So I really wasn't worried financially, but I didn't think that I would actually do better. And I have to tell you, I take a ski day here or there. I certainly uh, pace myself and uh, enjoy the community here. And I have actually been more financially successful since I've arrived here. It's incredible. I, you know, I had to leave Dream Girl January of 2017, so last year. And I had invested in a friends and family round with uh, one of my best friends. He started a cannabis production company here in Canada, which medical marijuana is legal here in full legalization is coming in July, but the company IPO'd a month after I moved back. And I became wealthier through that than I did with hustling and working so hard in New York and sacrificing so much. And it's for sure not a traditional way of, or not a, I wouldn't say traditional, but not always the most accessible way, accessible way of accumulating wealth that I went through, but it gave me so much freedom, flexibility, my cost of living is significantly lower here than it was in Brooklyn. And just overall quality of life has improved. So I made more money leaving New York than I did my entire time in New York. Um, and it's just a really remarkable thing to reflect on sometimes. Yeah, no, it's incredible. So so let's just think about for people who are listening, I know you don't like to be prescriptive, but part of what I'm wondering is what are some of the steps that you've taken or that you'd encourage people to take uh, around self-care, and then let's see if we can tie them to also taking care of your financial life. Absolutely. I think that, so we are writing a series right now about the myths of self-care and, and the things that I discovered as I was in my own recovery last year and what real and true self-care looks like by the definition of Audre Lorde and different activists who have talked about this over, over time. And what kept coming up for me is self-care is hard. Self-care is doing the hard things. It's making the doctor's appointment and showing up. It's, you know, doing the breast exam at home and being willing to discover the uncomfortable lump that you may have found and going down the process of figuring it out, figuring out what it is, even if you're 21 years old. It is the process of showing up to the gym every week, even though you feel so sick and so depleted, but knowing that that movement, even that one hour when you're so low is going to bring you some sort of joy. It is not just bubble baths. It's not just going to get your nails done and getting a manicure or pedicure. It's having hard conversations. It's seeking out a trauma coach to help you unlearn a lot of behaviors you might have picked up as a kid. It is such a deep rooted process that it, we have now an $80 billion industry that profits off of conversations and products around self-care. Let's demystify that. And let's actually talk about the fact that self-care and like really rooting yourself in wellness is about doing the hard things and doing the things that you've been avoiding for so long. It's not about binge eating one night or binge watching Netflix one day because you're so tired. It's doing the things so that you don't get to the point where you just have to turn your brain off. Um, in terms of steps, it would be asking yourself, what are the things that you're avoiding in your life right now? Making a list of those things and then deciding how you're gonna tackle them. And if you're not gonna tackle them, asking yourself why. 
and then beginning your to-do list, your to, your self-care to-do list of these are the things I have to do for me. These are the things that are making me end up doing behaviors that don't serve me. And then starting to execute on that list. So let's fold in finance here. I, I look at taking care of our finances, managing our money, um, really educating ourselves at least about the basics around finance as part of self-care. Do you agree or do you see it a little bit differently? No, I completely agree. I think that money is so hard for women um, because it, we are only within two generations of being wealth holders or like main wealth managers and families. We're decoupling ourselves from, we used to be property. We used to be things that were bought and sold. So to karmically like move away from that and to look at money as something that can empower us and uplift us, that's a process. And our generation and the past generations have been in this process of really taking ownership of wealth. Um, in my household, I am the one who does primary wealth management. And that's not something that, you know, I'm 28. And for me and my fiance, we're totally cool with that, but breaking gender norms. And we're working against so much, but for us to be in financial control of our lives is the single greatest gift we could give to ourselves. It will enable more self-care. It will enable more opportunities for growth, wellness, for you to become who you want to be. Avoiding it is not the answer. Avoiding it is actually the act antithesis of taking care of yourself. Because it's uncomfortable, it means it's something we have to dive into. And I actually would really agree with you that women in general, generalization, haven't had a lot of practice in this regard, asking for what they're worth, um, knowing that they need to pay attention to their finances. And while some women like myself and like you are, you know, take the charge and, and, and lead the way, I think all of us need to do a better job at working at being financially literate. And just like we would take care of our nutrition or exercise or whatever it could be. So I, I love this whole framework of uh, financial self-care under your overall umbrella of taking care of yourself. Um, so if you had to sum it up, and I know this isn't an easy question, but if you had to change the myth from there's no connection between your health and your wealth, what would the new saying be? The healthier you are, the wealthier you will become. Period. End of story. Game over. <laughs> like, if you focus on your health, your mental well-being, your physical well-being, your emotional well-being, you will make so much money because you will have nothing holding you back. If you think of any reason why you don't want to sell your product, you don't want to put yourself out there, you don't want to invest in that company, it's rooted in fear. How do we eliminate fear? By learning to love ourselves and by doing the things that we need to do to feel incredible. And that comes back to emotional, physical, and spiritual well-being. So when you clear those things up, if you focus on your health, you will become wealthier than you've ever dreamed. It's going to take time. But in the long term, like I promise you, this is the key to life. <laughs> well, I love that you've been a guest today and I love your passion for this topic. Um, please, before we uh, sign off, tell the listeners a little bit about your new series and where they can find out more about you. Absolutely. Come find me on Instagram. It is the main platform I'm working on right now. Um, my handle is Komal Minhas, K-O-M-A-L-M-I-N-H-A-S. And you will be able to find out all the latest happenings for Comedia for myself, upcoming speaking events, and the series as it unfolds. 
awesome. Well, I definitely will check it out and become a subscriber or follower or whatever you are on Instagram because I'm a Gen Xer, so I don't always know what the terms are. But thank you so much for playing with me today and talking about this topic. And um, it's near and dear to my heart, so I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to have been here. Thank you for listening to Breaking Money Silence, hosted by Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, a wealth psychology expert and founder of KBK Wealth Connection. If you like what you heard, then check out more podcasts at BreakingMoneySilence.com or subscribe on iTunes.com. Need a fun, engaging speaker for your next event? Go to KBKWealthConnection.com and find out how to book Kathleen today. Be sure to share today's show so together we can break money silence for good.